Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Today we are on our second uh, part of our series through the book of Daniel. And uh, I wanted y'all to be reminded, and this is something that happens with a lot of series that I do. As I look forward through the lessons in the series, I I jokingly say I kind of try and save some of my points so that I don't just say everything important in the first few lessons and everything else just sounds like repeating. But this book, and like with many others, you're going to see that each sermon is going to be pretty similar in the takeaway point. And what we're going to see, though, is the different ways in which that looks in the book of Daniel. And so to remind you of what I think is one of the crucial questions that the book is asking and will be asking every week is, how do we keep our identity as God's people in, in acting with God's, doing God's purposes, being God's people in a setting that is not sympathetic to God and living like a follower of God. And it reminds me, I didn't say it last week, but it reminds me of every time, how many of you, when you were growing up, when your parents would drop you off at a friend's house to stay the night? Is that something that was maybe something you felt like you grew up doing? I grew up doing that a lot. Um, and I remember every time my mom would drop me off at a friend's house, she would say something to me. Did anybody else have a mom? that would say something to you like hey before you go inside come here Um, and she would always say remember who you are and whose you are so she would say every time remember who you are and whose you are and that kind of worked two different ways one it was remember don't act like a fool you know you're a richie uh, don't make us look bad which I, I understand but on a deeper level she was more saying remember you're you know while you're hanging out, you're representing not just your family, but you're representing God here. And so I kind of see throughout this series, um, I think one way you can think each, each lesson, each chapter, the question that's being asked of Daniel, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of, of the different characters is remember who you are and whose you are. And as I put it on the title screen, remember who the, the true king is, even though you're living in this place that says it has a, its own king. Remember who the real person in charge is. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. I debated a lot about how to break up this section of text because there's not really a clear place to do it, but it's a lot of reading. And every time I tried to pick a place, I couldn't think of one. So if you'll bear with me, you're going to have to do a lot of reading today. And hopefully you're okay with that. The good news is it's not a lot of rules. It's a lot of, it's a lot of story. And the story is, in my opinion, pretty compelling. So um, just hang with me. And uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles, if that, that'll help. But no, no nodding off while we're reading God's Word. Um, okay. Even though... Yeah, never mind. Um, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams... His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Uh, I don't think I did enough growing up thinking about this, but really, the big deal isn't he wants to put his enchanters to the test. The big deal is he's had a really bad dream, and he really is worried about what this dream means. What exactly is going on? And I'm, I'm disturbed by this dream I had. The king replied, uh, or then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. 
The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. I thought that was interesting. I feel like the punishment would be enough uh, incentive. But he's like, if you don't do this, I'm going to super punish you. If you do it, though, great rewards. I would have been content with cut to pieces, and uh, I would have started working. So tell me the dream and interpret it to me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time. He's saying, listen, I get it. Y'all are just trying to stall. You really don't know what the dream means. Because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked for such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. This is a great line. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. So I love the irony here. The irony of the story is that they're like, listen, this is way too much to ask of us. You'd have to counsel with the gods. And isn't it interesting that the way that he's going to get his dream interpreted is because Daniel is going to pray to God and counsel with God, the God. Okay. So, uh, verse 12, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Because remember, we learned last chapter, because of what Daniel and his friends, Mishael, Hananiah, Azariah, what they did in, uh, in this three-year training program, they became one of, one of the wise men of Babylon. They're in this group. And so there, you know, the, the word goes out, let's go find these guys, let's kill them. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time. He went to the king just like, instead of, he's different, the others, remember, they go to the king and they say, please, you got to tell us what the dream is. This is. There's no hope. And he says, listen, I can tell what you're doing. But Daniel, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, why won't you tell me the dream? What does he say? He says, give me some time. He doesn't say, I can't do it or it can't be done. He says, just give me a little bit of time and so, so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. And he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God, for my of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what you asked, what was asked, we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. 
take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. Isn't it interesting that we have other stories where God's intervening saves his people, but here's a story of God's intervening doesn't just save his people, but saves a whole bunch of people that don't care about God at all. And yet God is always at work to save others. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, look at this guy taking all the credit. I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dreams mean, what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Isn't it cool that Daniel's Daniel just followed up this guy taking all the credit by immediately taking no credit, saying, listen, none of us can do this. There's no way anyone would be able to do this for you. But there is a God in heaven who can do this. Um, let me find it again. Uh, right. Uh, okay. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mystery has showed you what is going to happen. It's very important to Daniel that he's saying, this dream that you had wasn't just some random dream. He is trying to communicate something with you. As for me, the mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that, my, and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching a rock, while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. That's a key part. This rock that was cut out was not something that people orchestrated. Something else orchestrated this rock being cut out. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. They weren't just broken. They were obliterated. How many of you have ever dropped, what are those plates called that, you, uh, that are supposedly like you can't break them? What are they called? You know what I mean? Like there's a special, okay, yeah, whatever y'all just said. Whenever they do break, how many of you have experienced them breaking? There was a story my dad told when he was a youth minister of a kid in the youth group walking with some plates. I think they had had dinner at the house and he dropped it and it didn't break. And he was like, oh, whoa. And my parents explained, yeah, it's this special kind of plate. And he's like, that's amazing. Picked it up and just dropped it. And thinking, yeah, it's indestructible. And then it just, according to my dad, it, it became dust. It was not picking up like, you know, shards of plates. It was dust. And this is what you're supposed to see from this statue image. This thing doesn't just get broken. It becomes like chaff, like tiny little chaff that blows away in the wind. The wind's uh, uh, chaff on the threshing floor in the summer wind. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. Very flattering of Daniel. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. Once again, he's saying, don't forget in all this, I'm not the one who deserves credit for interpreting the dream. You don't deserve credit for being the king of kings. God's in control. God is sovereign in all of this. Dick's sermon, his message during the communion was amazingly tying into this because his point was, you know, at an anniversary, Let's try not to give so much credit to the couple. Let's remember in all this, God created him and her. 
God made them, made love, made their ability, their commitment, guided them. Let's give God some credit in this. Where Daniel's going to give God all the credit, we often give God like a piece of the credit. You know, you know what, God? I've worked really hard, made a lot of money. Uh, I'm doing really good. I guess I'll give you 10%. You know, you deserve some credit for this. It probably should be more like 99% if we're being honest. So uh, let me get back to the, the text. So he says, I'm going to interpret the dream for you. You are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. Now this section was the section I almost decided to skip. So I'm going to read fast. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and the toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it. Even as you saw iron mixed with clay, as the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw from the iron mixed with the baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. If you want to get into all the symbolism in there, come to Wednesday night class, let's talk about it. But the bottom line is, the point he's making is, you're the head of gold, you're the greatest of the great, and each kingdom after this will be worse subsequently. And these will be future kingdoms, one right after another. Kingdoms of this earth that will come over and over and over. But in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. This is the rock that comes in. Not a rock made by human hands, but a rock by God's own hand. A rock will come in someday, uh, and nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever and grow like a mountain that fills the earth. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its, in its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. So he's, in some ways, worshiping Daniel. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. So we should point out, it's pretty cool to think. We see this in different places in Scripture. We see this story should remind you a lot of Joseph. Joseph, an interpreter of dreams in prison. All the other magicians, all the, the Pharaoh's workers can't get it done. They bring Joseph. Joseph's able to, and he's like, listen, it's not me, it's God. And there's a place at which even these... Because of the testimony, even these other rulers are, are getting to a place where, no, do I think Nebuchadnezzar is now a God-fearer? Not necessarily, but do I think he's like, you know what, I'm going to add one more God to my uh, group of gods, and I'm going to make sure I give this God credit for this. So it's, it's a good step, to step in, in the right direction. Then the king placed, last paragraph, then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. This is foreshadowing for when we get to Daniel a little bit later, when there's some wise men who are really jealous of Daniel. This is setting a target on Daniel in many ways. All these guys are like, what? 
We've been doing this our whole life. We grew up here. We're the best. I've been spending my whole life training to be this special enchanter, this special wise man. And all of a sudden, this guy from this other country comes in here. And in just like the blink of an eye, he's the top dog. Let's try and get rid of this guy, which you'll see they try and do later. And then, moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. So you see the setup of this next story we have where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to have this trial with the fiery furnace, you're like, where's Daniel in that story? You kind of see. Daniel's at the royal court. These guys are in a different setting. You're kind of, the story is being set up for why Daniel isn't in the next story. So, I have one point for my sermon. I don't have a whole lot of points. There's just one. But I'm going to talk about the, the different ways that we see this in the story. So, first, the point is, that we have the enduring kingdom and we see in this all over it the sovereignty of God. I, I, I struggle talking about the sovereignty of God because often us in our Western culture, we don't like necessarily the idea of sovereignty. If, for those of you who are like hearing this and it's like a super Bible, Bible-ish sounding term, sovereign is a way of saying like ruling, like a king is sovereign, a king reigns sovereign, meaning the king is over everything. And do you, what, what word would you maybe pick of why we don't love the idea of God being sovereign? Anybody want to think of a, a phrase or a word? The answer is pride. We really don't like the idea of someone or anything being more in control of our life than us. That's a, a hard thing for us as to, to swallow as a part of our pride. I know for, for me, growing up, there's a great, uh, great line from the Invictus poem that's in the movie Invictus that Nelson Mandela talks about a lot, where he says, I am the captain of my, you know, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my life, whatever that exact phrase is. A lot of us love that phrase because it's like no matter what's going on, I'm in charge of what's going on in my life. That is not false, but it's also not true, okay? I'm not saying that you're not in control of your actions. I believe that God gives us, as part of his gift to us, control of our choices. That's why sin exists, because you can't have free will if you can't have a choice to choose a, a other-than-God path. However, it would be ignorant and it would be wrong for us not to see throughout Scripture, and especially in the book of Daniel, this idea that in this setting, it looks for all the world that God is not in control here. It looks like these are people that are just in this foreign nation being governed by a foreign king, living these lives apart from God, and over and over the message is, God is in control. And it will be the message throughout the rest of Daniel. The king thinks he's in control, God's in control throughout. And one of the things that I want to point out uh, a line that I, I saw when I was reading is, the course of history is determined by God. Human beings do not ultimately secure the future by their own actions. And whenever you see these kingdoms, uh, one of the things that's crucial about this idea of the different metals and the king, a lot of people try and say, okay, so the, the gold, if that's King Nebuchadnezzar and that's, the, that's his kingdom, then the silver, maybe that's the, you know, the, the Persian or the Assyrian Empire. And then the, the iron, maybe that's the Roman Empire. People want to do that all day. Fine, go with it. That's okay. But the real point is, is that empires will come. There have been and always will be more empires. 
subsequent empires, whatever you want to call those things. And the point that he's making is, as much as it may seem like those empires are the ones that are in control over and over in history, who holds history in his hands? God is sovereign. God is the one who's saying, there will come a day where a stone not made by human hands, by me, will come and will end these kingdoms, and there will be one kingdom that's left. And the other thing that I want to talk about, the thing that I think is so cool about this, is that how many of you have heard a sermon before where the preacher started and said, the thing that's talked about most in, that Jesus talks about most in the Bible is money. Anybody ever heard that before? Have any of you heard that line? Jesus definitely talks about money a lot. A lot more than we talk about money from this pulpit. But you know one thing that Jesus talks about the most that's more than money? The number one thing is he talks about the kingdom. The kingdom that is to come. And he talks over and over in scripture about how he has come to bring that kingdom. That He even says, some of you are probably really confused whenever he says something like, I tell you today that before you die you will taste the kingdom of God. And everyone's like, wait a second, that's not true. Jesus, the kingdom hasn't come yet, and all these people are dead. That's not true, because when Jesus came, the second he came on earth, he was already breaking in this kingdom of God to where we have a little taste of it now, and someday we will have the full... It, today we see as though dark, through a dark mirror, someday we will see clearly. And I love this. I, I could have picked from a million of them. Uh, I looked it up the... The Gospel of Matthew alone says the word kingdom 52 times. So Jesus is talking about kingdom a lot. But here's a great one from Luke. Luke 1, 30-33. When the angel comes to Mary, he says, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So Jesus, Daniel, when we're reading these things, and we see the New Testament writers love to go back to Daniel, especially Daniel 7, when he talks about the Son of Man coming. And we'll get there eventually. But Jesus knows this kingdom that was talked about, this one that will come, that will be the kingdom to last forever, that will endure forever, I'm the one that's coming to inaugurate that kingdom. I'm the one that's coming to say, if you want to know what the kingdom of God is going to be like forever, the one that's going to last eternally, look at what I'm doing. Look at the kingdom that I'm bringing about. And guess what? We aren't there yet, right? We're not fully there. This world still has brokenness. There's still plenty of ways in which we see the empires of the world in control, quote unquote. But we get to decide, just like Daniel, we get to say, I know it may look like other kings are in control, but I know the kingdom that's going to last eternally, and I know that I get to decide today already that I'm going to choose to be a part of that kingdom, the one that will be for forever. If any of you here today have any prayer requests, we'd love to, we'd love to pray over you. Um, we'd love to, to ask God to intercede in your life, just like Daniel asks God to intercede in the story. And if any of you would like to know more about this kingdom, this one that you that's the one that is to come, but we also get to participate in today. I'd encourage you to talk to one of us or come this week and talk to, us in our, talk to me in my office as we stand and as we sing this song.